What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line, as usual, is my co-host, Curtis. And today's show is the first edition of our Spring Practice Primer Series that we run uh, each year leading up to spring practice, where we basically were just previewing the personnel, the position battles, and the storylines at each specific position prior to the start of spring drills, which will be up next week. Now, we originally planned to start this series last week, but as it has a way of doing, life kind of got in the way, and we were unfortunately unable to get it done last week. So to make up for that, our plan is to run two episodes in the series this week, starting with the offensive skill positions today. Uh, Now, today's show is obviously being offered for free to everyone out there, uh, but the rest of our spring practice primer episodes, getting you ready for the start of spring practice, will be exclusive to our premium subscribers on Podbean. So if you enjoyed today's content and want access to all of our uh, full spring practice coverage, go ahead and give it a shot, guys. Subscribe on Podbean today for just $2 a month. Uh, it's a real easy, simple process. All you got to do, really, the easiest way in my mind would probably be go to our Twitter page. It's at Glory underscore UGA. Click on the little profile link right there. It'll take you straight to our Podbean page. If you're on a computer, there's a little yellow Buy Now button there on the right side. Click on that. Boom. You are ready to go within a minute or two. If you're on uh, a mobile device, you just scroll down to the bottom of that page, and it'll be there as well, the same little yellow Buy Now button. Or if you don't do the whole Twitter thing, which I totally get, you guys can just go to Podbean, search for Glory UGA Podcast, and go that route. But it um, should be quick and easy. If you have any questions, definitely let us know there. But uh, we definitely appreciate any and all support. And a big thank you to all of you out there who uh, are been, have been big-time supporters of our show and help us keep this thing going throughout the offseason who have already subscribed to Podbean. So just want to put that out there. But, Kurt, let's go ahead, man, and let's get into breaking down the offensive skill positions heading into spring practice. Now, when I say offensive skill positions, we're kind of lumping together wide receivers, running backs, and quarterback. So we'll go through each of those three positions, look at the personnel, look at some of the position battles, uh, look at maybe what we're losing, who we're trying to replace, and just kind of the general storyline surrounding those positions. And I want to start with the wide receivers here today, Kurt, because this is where we're losing the most production from our 2018 season. We're losing 60... Now, obviously... This is my calculation, so you can always double-check me on this. But based on my calculations, uh, we're losing 60% of our receiving yards, 54% of our receptions from last year, and 65% of receiving touchdowns, led by Riley Ridley's 559 yards and 9 touchdowns. Uh, so that's a lot of production there, Curtis, from the wide receiver position that's gone out the door. We're losing four of our top five receivers with Ridley, Miko Hardman, Isaac Nod at the tight end position, and Terry Godwin, who exhausted his eligibility. The other three decided to declare for the NFL draft early. So a lot of production is out the door there, Kurt. But I think the big question now, we can't worry about those guys now. They're gone, wishing the best, absolutely. But Looking forward towards 2019, how worried are you about our ability to replace all of that production uh, from our pass catchers? I mean, I'm not worried about replacing our production. I think the one place I'm more worried about is, you know, like a go-to guy when we need a play. Because I think Riley really was that guy last year. You know, he made a lot of big catches for us on third down or, you know, some tough catches when we needed it. And I think that's the only thing that worries me is who's going to be the guy to step it up. You know, I think Holloman may be, uh, but, you know, it's just that's a, you know, hypothetical yeah, I, this is this is an interesting question. So you look at our roster, a lot of the guys that we have on the roster who we are hoping to step up into, into bigger roles this year, most of these guys were pretty highly rated coming out of high school, right? 
Yeah. I mean, typically the University of Georgia does not recruit guys that aren't big-time prospects coming out of high school in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> but saying that, you know, we should we should be pretty well. We are well-stocked from a recruiting standpoint, but we're going to be relying on guys who simply haven't done it yet or won't be on campus until the summer. The only guy that hasn't done it, that, that has kind of done something but won't be on campus until the summer is Lawrence Cager, the, the graduate transfer from Miami. But he won't be here until May, so he's not going through spring practice. And we're kind of we're trying to limit this uh, this conversation with all these different positions with our, with our spring practice primers. We're trying to limit that to people who are going to be on campus this spring, who, who are actually going to be going through spring practice drills. Uh, we, we, we might mention a few names out there who might who are coming in this in the summer, but we're trying to focus on the spring. So Lawrence Cager is not going to be here in the spring. So, but we have a lot of guys like Tommy Bush, you got Matt Landers, uh, you got Kiaris Jackson, all these guys who. Yeah, they're pretty highly rated guys coming out of high school, exception maybe Matt Landers, but they just haven't done it at all yet. Uh, now, you mentioned J.J. Holloman. That's the guy I think you have to look at right now. Is is he someone that you are ready right now to pencil in as a starter for 2019? Um, I am because, I mean, he has continued to get better and better, and you saw flashes of it last year where he could just dominate and be, you know, be a – go-to guy for us so I think you know the more and more he gets more comfortable because people gotta remember in high school uh he kind of did it all for his team so he wasn't exclusively at the receiver position getting the ball thrown to him yeah and he's certainly grown throughout his two years here in Athens his his freshman year he didn't really make much of an impact at all really Uh, but last year he certainly came on had 418 yards receiving five touchdowns on 24 catches he actually was our most explosive wide receiver in terms of yards per catch even more than Miko he had 17.4 yards per reception so he was our big play guy based on the stats right there based on the data Uh, do you you mentioned that one of the things you might be concerned about it's not that we don't have talent position, but we don't have that go-to guy coming into the season. A guy like Riley Ridley this year. I mean, would you say Javon Wims is that guy in 2017, right? Yeah. Can J.J. Holloman be that type of guy in 2019? Is he the next in that kind of – is he the guy kind of in that mold next in line to be one of those kind of guys? I think he is. I mean, you physically, if you look at him, he's not quite as big – and neither was Riley Ridley – not quite as big as Wims – but Holloman is essentially the same size as Riley Ridley was, right? I mean, he is. He's 6'2", yeah. about 200 pounds. I mean, he's essentially the same size. Dare I say he might even be a better athlete than Riley Ridley was? I think that's very fair to say. Yeah, I really do. I mean, and really he's a great player. I'm not trying to discount Ridley at all. I mean, I, I wish he was back this year. He did a lot of really good things. Which you're right. He was that guy when we needed a catch. We went to him last year. Uh, kind of like Javon Wims was in 2017 that uh, run to the national championship game. Uh, I think Holloman, though, is a better athlete than what – we saw from Riley Ridley. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to be a better receiver. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be as productive as Ridley, but he really wasn't that far off last year. Now, he had about half the catches that Ridley had, but he had you know, about 140, 135 less yards receiving than Ridley uh, with only five starts, uh, had uh, four less touchdowns. So he really wasn't that far off from a guy who pretty much started every game for us and was our go-to guy for most of the season when we needed a, when we needed a, a big catch. So I think it's certainly within reason to, to suggest that J.J. Holloman can step up his game in another year. We saw much he developed from year one to year two. I think it's reasonable to believe that he could jump, make a bigger, another big jump from year two to year three and be that type of guy for us. Do you think he has – So I think we're both in agreement here that he can be a kind of a Riley Ridley type receiver for us. Could he potentially be even better? Can he, can he maybe take that next step to elite status? Because as good as Ridley was – I'm not sure I would have called Riley Ridley elite. Can Holloman be an elite wide receiver? Um, I, um, 
I don't know if I can say elite, but I think he could be one of the top-notch receivers in the SEC just because of his pure athleticism and his raw talent, what he can do. Yeah, and I guess that, I mean, that's a tough question to answer because it all comes down to how do you define elite? It's a very nebulous word, right? Like, like what I think is elite might be different from what you think is elite. That's tough, but like, but if you're going like what you just said there, if you think he can be in the top, one of the top receivers in the league is in the best league in college football, is that not pretty close to being elite? It is. Yeah, I, I think he has that potential. I'm not ready to say he's going to break out this year and be a 1,000-yard type guy. I'm not ready to say that yet. And part of the reason for that is I just don't know what to expect from our offense. I, I think that we're going to have a lot of similarities to what we were under Jim Chaney. And I, I, you hear you hear kind of smatterings that there's, especially guys, you know, guys that we're recruiting right now with uh, James Coley trying to, you know, give them an idea of what to expect with him calling plays. And there's kind of some word leaking out that they expect us to open up and throw the ball a little bit more down the field. And we'll see. I, I hope that's the case. I hope we actually throw more on first down more than anything. I think we just need to change what we do situationally from time to time, be a little less predictable. Um but it, it may so maybe if we start opening up a little bit more. If you look at what he did in Miami when he's the play caller there, you know his last year there they actually threw the ball more than they ran the ball. Now I don't know if we'll ever be that here at Georgia with what Kirby Smart wants and the identity he wants our offenses to have. But I could see a much closer to like a a 55-45 split. I certainly couldn't. If that's the case, maybe Holloman does get those chances. Um, but I. I I will go back and say I'm not quite ready to say he's going to be an elite wide receiver next year. Not ready to predict that. I think he has that potential, but it's hard to say until I see what he looks like this year, until I see what our offense actually is going to look like and uh, how the play calling is going to shake out. But I'm very excited about J.J. Holloman. I think he clearly can be a number one guy for us. There's very little doubt in my mind there. Uh, But outside of J.J., Curtis, who is next up in your mind, maybe right behind Holloman, pushing for a starting spot in 2019? Um, I think you have to look at maybe, say, Tyler Simmons. Yeah, I mean, he's – let's talk about Simmons for a second here because this is a guy that I love the guy because he does all the dirty work, right? Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that, that got on the – he basically he, – he started the year. He was a starter to open the season and got a lot of time on the field, especially the first half of the year. I mean, primarily because of his, his, his willingness, more important than anything, his willingness and his ability to block out there in the perimeter, which Kirby has made no bones about it. Every year since he's been here, if you're going to play wide receiver for us, you have got to be a willing and capable blocker. And Simmons does that in spades. So he's going to factor into the rotation in some way, shape, or form. It's going to happen just because of what he brings to the table from a blocking perspective, which I know is kind of an, uh, an unheralded trait in receivers. That's usually not what you look for. You don't, it is, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of quantify that. You want, we always want to look at the, the, the catches and the yards and touchdowns because you can quantify that. Uh, now, from a quantifiable standpoint, he didn't have a great year last year. He only had nine catches, 138 yards, and two touchdowns. But do you think he has the potential to become more of a uh, an impact-type player, not just in the run game from a blocking perspective, but also as a pass catcher? Do you think he has that potential? I think he does. I mean, you've always seen flashes of it. You think it's just for him putting it all together at times, you know, his hands. One thing that people don't really necessarily understand, he has had some drops throughout his career. That there's, you know, he hasn't had a ton of opportunities, but he has had some drops where you're like, oh, dude, come on. Um, but and he doesn't need a lot of, he hasn't had a lot of opportunities. So a lot of your average fan hasn't really seen him put this on full display. We saw it on one of those uh, little jet sweeps last year. I think he might have had two touchdowns on jet sweeps, but at least one late in the season. Um, the guy has track level speed, right? Yeah, I mean he is a burner. I mean he he truly is a burner. He's not like Miko Hardman level fast, but he I'd say he probably runs in the four four the mid four four range, probably somewhere around there. Maybe not in the four threes like Miko did the combine, but uh, I'd say he runs somewhere in the mid to high four fours. Uh, so he's got speed. Now he's a smaller dude, which doesn't necessarily fit what we want 
uh, traditionally outside, we want some bigger body type guys like a Lawrence Cager we went out and got from Miami as a grad transfer who's a 6'4", 6'5", type guy. But he, regardless, he's still a very physical receiver, which Kirby loves. So he's going to be on the field. I'm with you. I think he has the potential to contribute more as a pass catcher. I think this year I could certainly see Tyler Simmons in the 20, somewhere in the 20 to 25 reception range, uh, you know, three to 400 yards. Does that sound about right for him? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I see from him this year. So, I, I, now we, there is some competition there, though. I think he'll factor into the competition to, to push for a starting job. And honestly, I would I wouldn't be surprised at all if he opened the season and started just really based on his physicality and what he brings to the table from a blocking perspective. But what about a guy like Demetrius Robertson, who was the big transfer from Cal uh, before last season? Uh, a lot of people, including us, were, were predicting big things from him. But it didn't really turn out that way for him. He was basically a non-factor. Not basically, he was. Just a flat-out non-factor all of last year for us. Uh, Now, this is a guy coming off his freshman year at Cal. A true freshman year at Cal. Had 50 catches for 767 yards and 5 touchdowns. So, he has proven production at the college level. Now, not in the red and black. Not here last year. But he's done it. Now, the offense was different at Cal. But again, he's done it. Will this year be different for Demetri Robertson? Will this year be the year that we were all expecting from him? Like, we, like well, I guess what we were expecting last year from him. Will that happen in 2019? I think it very well could because I think you're going to find him in a more comfortable position in the slot, in my opinion. And I think just having, you know, he he made no bones about it. I think he at times mentioned that he was struggling picking up the playbook. He didn't pick it up as fast as he thought he would. And that kind of struggled with him. And at the same time, he didn't have the physicality. So I think, you know, he, he's taking that to heart, trying to get his conditioning and everything right to more of the SEC standards to, yeah. you know, be able to survive the tough play. And yeah. I think that he may be ready to actually make the jump this year. I mean, like you said, he's done it before. So I think it's just putting it together everything this time. Yeah, I really don't think it was a matter of talent. I, that's not what I think it was last year. I think what it was last year, uh, you mentioned you're coming into an entirely new system. He was running a very West Coast spread, tiles, spread type system at calendar, Sonny Dykes, very different than what we run. Uh, and he was asked to do different things here. And he was his body was not ready to do those things. I, so, yeah, it was partly it was a playbook thing, and he came in so late, uh, and that's not really being ready to do that from a mental perspective. But I, from what I've heard from some people around the program is that physically he was not in shape. He did not come into camp in shape at all. He hadn't really been working out much at all. Um, and, you know, he, he had an injury. That's why he had to trans- – that he didn't play at all uh, his sophomore year at Cal and why he registered that year is he's coming off an injury. So I, I, I don't want to say it was like, – suggestion of him being lazy and just not caring. He did have an injury. I don't know how much that factored into it, but for whatever reason, from everything I understand, he did not come into shape. Have you heard some of that around the around the program here in Athens? Yeah, that was one of the more common uh, thing, themes you were hearing about him. Yeah, I mean, and so if you're not in shape, and it's, again, let's go back to what we are talking about with Tyler Simmons. To play receiver at the University of Georgia, as long as Kirby Smart's our coach, you are going to have to bring the physicality. And Demetrius Robertson just simply was not ready for that. And Kirby even made he alluded to that multiple times in his press conferences. You know, he always he didn't say bad things about Demetrius. He loves Demetrius. And the way Kirby handled that recruitment, uh, not burning bridges, was fantastic. He loves the kid. But you know, he he had an interesting way of kind of you know building up, saying, "Hey, you guys are expecting too much. Let's not put the expectation on this guy. He's out here working hard, but he's got to get stronger. He's got to get more physical." I mean, he basically said those things. So I I think a year in the weight room uh, and a year in the system will absolutely benefit him in a big way. And I expect a bigger year out of Demetrius. I don't know uh, if he's going to be the number one guy, but I think he like I think he has that potential. Do you? 
Yeah, I'd do Shea. Yeah, I, 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 honestly, from a pure talent perspective, like who would you take, Holloman or Demetrius Robertson? From a pure talent perspective, pure talent, you have to look at D Rob. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he just brings a different level of athleticism. He's, but again, he's not as big as Holloman, and Hall, so Holloman can, is more of the total package for what we want a Georgia receiver to be. Demetrius has got to get close to. He's never going to be as big as Holloman. He's not going to be. That's just not his bite. He's not going to be that. But he can be better than what he was last year from, from a physicality standpoint. Uh, but if he puts it all together, man, and learns the system, is able to go out there and be physical, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility this guy could could potentially even surpass Holloman to be our number one guy. I think Holloman's a guy that handicapped right now to be that guy. But Demetrius has done it before at the college level. I mean, he, he's he's got more receiving yards uh, in that true freshman year at Cal than any one of our guys had in any single year to this point. At least in terms of guys that we have returning. Uh, so. I, I'm not going to say it's out of the realm of possibility. I, I need to see it first. I need to see his body. I need to see him get more familiar with the playbook and, and feel more comfortable out there. So I'll be looking at him closely during G-Day uh, and definitely paying attention to what people have to say uh, around the campus up here uh, during spring practice. But he's a guy to obviously keep your eye on here. You know, you mentioned you like him better in the slot. Do you think he has – and I, I think I do too. I, I'm, I'm totally with you there. But do you think he has the potential to play outside if we maybe find someone who like – let's say like maybe we bring in a guy like – Oh, I don't know, Dominic Blaylock, right? Who I think Blaylock is like a prototype slot guy. Is it a potential that we could slide a guy like Blaylock in there or maybe a Kyrus Jackson because those guys fit better in the slot and then maybe slide Demetrius outside? Does he have the ability to play out there? He does. I think, you know, that, you know, especially, you know, if you're comparing him to Mecole, Mecole was primary, you know, was only going to work in the slot. I mean, there was sure. a times where he even disappeared in the slot because of his, you know, just what he brought to the table. And I think that. You know, Demetrius Robertson has at least shown that he could play the outside if need be. Yeah, I mean, that, when he got, he didn't get much playing time last year, but when he did, a lot of time he actually was lining up outside, and that's one of the reasons he couldn't get on the field that much. Is we expect our guys out there to block, and he was having a tough time doing that. It wasn't that he was not willing; he just didn't really have the body to do it last year. Uh, yeah, so obviously, definitely someone to keep an eye on there. Now, so we talked about Holloman, we talked about Simmons, talked about Demetrius Robertson. If I'm putting these guys into tiers, I, like right now coming into spring practice, I would have Holloman like alone in tier one as, like I said, the guy that I think right now, the one guy you can kind of pencil in as a starter. I really feel confident in saying that right now with J.J. Holloman. Uh, then in tier two, I think you have Tyler Simmons and Demetrius Robertson, guys who have had some experience, who have done it at the college level. And then I think you have in tier three a group of guys who have essentially yet to crack the lineup really in any significant way. And I'm talking guys like Tommy Bush, Matt Landers, Trey Blunt, who's got a little bit of playing time, but not much. Uh, Kiaris Jackson. I mean, those four guys right there have combined in their careers for three catches for 39 yards, based on my calculations. So, to me, that's the clear tier three. So, out of that group, Bush, Landers, Blunt, and Kiaris Jackson, who do you see as having the best chance to break out and make an impact in 2019? If I had to choose, it probably between uh, my choice would be Tommy Bush and Kiaris Jackson. Okay, what about Bush? Is this a guy that we have? I mean, we saw him in high school. He redshirted essentially last year. We didn't see him at all. So what? What do you expect out of him this year? I, well, I think he, I, the reason I, you know him and uh, Matt Landers have very similar body types, but I think that Bush was at least more polished at the time when he came in compared to Landers, and I think he's a little bit more athletic, and I think that's why you go with him. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna tell you, comparing Bush and Landers is a fair comparison because they do have similar body types. Um, they're both about 6'4", 6'5". I will tell you that I – now I have not seen Tommy Bush play up close. I, I haven't. Now, I, I did see Matt Landers. I think it was, what, two summer, two, maybe three summers ago up here at a 7-on-7 camp in Athens where we um, – it was actually over the intramural fields 
while they were fixing up the. That's why they're doing construction on the on the uh, the practice field. So I guess it was three summers ago, right? I guess yeah, it was three summers ago. So Jake Fromm was at that, he was at that seven seven on seven over there uh, at the intramural fields. But and Matt Landers comes in and I and I watched this guy and he he'd already committed to us, I believe so at that time. But he either he was either committed to us or like we were that he was strongly considering committed to us and his his name was some certainly someone to watch someone that was on our radar for sure uh, but he came there and i want to say he'd already committed uh before the seven on seven camp but um i i watched the guy in person and he was incredibly tall but incredibly thin um and you could tell just watching him in a seven on seven setting that he was very raw as a route runner like I don't want to say he was clueless. That's a little bit too far to go there. But he certainly was not a crisp route runner. Uh, he was rounding stuff off. DB was having a chance to get him inside of him. But you also saw that jump ball ability to go up there and get the ball that's highest route. Flash really good speed for a guy his size with that kind of tall, lanky build. So I, th- I was the guy. I was thinking he's a guy that is not going to contribute right away. Maybe a project type guy, but once he figured it out and once he got his body a little bit more developed and just got some good coaching at the college level to kind of polish up his game, that he could be a real player for us. Do you think it's time for him? Is like is is now the time for him to finally break out and do something? Um, I think he's going to. It is the time. Yeah, if he doesn't this year, like, is he a transfer candidate? Yeah, very well. I mean, let's say even after the like, could, and I hate I hate speculating here because we just don't know. I mean, it's just really not fair to these guys. But here I am gonna do it anyway, so I'll be the hypocrite, I guess. Uh, is he a guy that if he does not make a dent in the depth chart during the spring, by the time spring practice is over and G Day's done and gone, do you think he might transfer before we get into fall camp? Wouldn't shock me because I mean these people have such small windows. Yeah, I mean it wouldn't. Shock. I mean I I wouldn't necessarily blame, him, especially with some of the talent we're bringing in with a guy like George Pickens and obviously Dominic Blaylock and Kaya Tung, who I think is a guy that's not really getting enough attention. He's a good player, uh, but yeah, I I I can see it. I could also see him making a, a push here in the spring. Uh, I think he has the the skill set. It's just a matter of can he put it all together? Can he get his body where it needs to get? Uh, but you like Bush better than Holland or better than Landers, and I. I can't definitively say that, that I'm with you there. I just don't know. I haven't seen enough of Bush other than what I saw from him in high school. But he was a highly rated guy coming out of Texas. Uh, our coaches liked him. I will say Landers was making some waves on the scout team last year for whatever that's worth. And we've had some guys where they make waves on the scout team and they end up you know, becoming big impact players the next year. And we've had guys that make waves on the scout team and never really translate that to make it an impact um, uh, on Saturdays. So we'll just have to see there. For me, though, you mentioned a guy, Kiaris Jackson. That's the one I would go with. What What do you see in Kyrus Jackson? Why was he a name that came to your mind there? I mean, I mean, at times you saw him get on the field with his just pure athleticism. I mean, the kid's a. I think the kid has what it takes, you know, yeah. athletic wise, to be a good receiver for us. Yeah, I think to him is putting everything else together. Yeah, he's a physical guy too. Uh, he's he's a different kind of body type. He's where he's not the biggest, like tallest guy, but he's thick and physical and I do think the slot fits him best uh, but he's a guy that I think has the quickness and ability to run some of the whip routes there some of those option routes of the slot I think if you get him matched up on, on linebackers he can certainly win those battles from time to time even against some stars I think he can win those battles as well those, uh, those slot DBs um, but I, I think he's a guy that certainly will factor in he's a great athlete as you mentioned in fact he didn't have any catches last year the touches he got were actually in the run game uh, as a running back so uh he does have some good athleticism, and, and I, I just like his physicality. He's got good, strong hands. Um, but I, I believe he's a guy that, that certainly could factor in this year. I'm not going to say he's going to be like a, a starter, but I think he could certainly be in the rotation. There's no doubt about it. No Trey Blunt for you. 
No. I, I haven't seen a ton from him either. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't see him ever being a truly impact player for us. And I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I, I really do. I don't wish that on any of our guys. From everything I understand, he's a really hard worker and a good dude. I, and I, I hope he proves me wrong. But I just, from what I, the little bit I've seen from him, I just haven't seen anything that screams out to me like, yeah, this guy is going to be a big time player. I just haven't quite seen that yet. But uh, he has his chance this spring. We'll see how that works out. Uh, now let's move on to tight end here real quick. Also, we're going to kind of lump them in with the pass catchers. So at tight end, obviously we're losing Isaac Nauta. Uh, and but in terms of our top tight end, our, who's going to be our, our starter? We got Charlie Warner, who's a guy who's got a lot of experience. He'll be a senior this year. He's basically been not his backup uh, for most of his his first three years here on campus. So at tight end, can Charlie Warner replace Isaac Nada's production? Um, I think pass catching wise, I actually think he can. Why? Why do you say that? I mean, you got to think this guy was a natural receiver in high school. Yep. And yep. when we put him in the passing game, he's actually, you know, comfortable. Yeah, so I, here's another guy that I had. I saw multiple years. I want to say two years in a row when he was up here at 7-on-7 seven seven camps with Raven County. And I was – I mean, actually, I was sitting right on the sideline watching when he, he made a play. He was playing receiver, and he ran up the sideline and just jumped over. I think it was like – of course, they were double covering. I can't remember what team they were playing in that particular game. They were double covering him. They had they were basically bracketing him, and the quarterback just chucked it up to him because clearly Charlie Warner was the best player on the team. I mean, bar none. So he just chucked it up to him. Uh, it, was, it was I think it was a fourth down play. It was a big play. It was in the end zone. He goes up above both those guys and just rips the ball away. And I was like, oh god, like sheesh, this guy's going to be really good. But my, my always my question was like, where does he play? Uh, because at Raven County, he played receiver. He played uh, some DB. Played some running back. I mean, he did a lot of different things for them. Um, so I was like, okay, where, what is he going to play in high school? Is he going to be a jumbo or in college? Is he going to be a jumbo wide receiver? Is he going to be a tight end? Obviously, we know the answer now. We put him at tight end, which I always thought was probably going to be the most likely landing spot for him. But the thing for him, uh, I agree with you. I think he is. I honestly, I think clearly he's a better athlete than Isaac Nada. Is am I being too? Am I, am I going too far saying that? No, not at all. I mean, what did what did Nada run at the, at the combine? Like a four eight nine four nine. About that. Right, like, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Like anyone that's surpri- that was surprised by that, you just really weren't paying attention. And I mean that with all due respect. You just were not paying attention to what Isaac Nada was as a player. I mean, he was a good player for us, and I'm not trying to discount him in any way. I love Isaac Nada. Worked his tail off for us. Did a lot of really good things. Was a great, t- very good tight end. I should say great, very good tight end for us when he got opportunities, and also a, a, a great blocker uh, as well. But he was never an elite athlete. That's one of the things I always got frustrated with. People were saying, "Why don't we throw the more tight ends? Why don't we throw more to the tight ends?" I'm like, "Because Isaac Nada doesn't always get open." Isaac Nauta is not a plus athlete. He's just simply not. Warner was always the better athlete. For me, the reason Nauta was always ahead of Warner was Warner had a steeper learning curve. Like, as I was just laying out there, it's kind of why I was going that 7-on-7 seven seven story. Warner did not really play tight end in high school. Nauta was a tight end from day one when he started at Buford High School and then transferred to IMG. That's what the dude played. He played defensive end in, in, on defense, and he played tight end on offense. So he had years of, of, of advanced preparation on Charlie Warner. When Warner went to all these camps, he wasn't really playing tight end all the time. That's what Nauta was doing. So Warner just had a steeper learning curve. But I, I don't think that doesn't mean he was, he's not the better athlete. I do think he's the better athlete. Now, does that mean that he's going to put – Going back to uh, the year when we went to, went to the national championship, Warner was actually more of a receiving threat at that time. When Before he, he broke his the, leg. Yeah. Yeah, he was in the Rose Bowl, broke his leg, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. I think he had he had two or three catches in that game before he went out and got hurt. Uh, but yeah, late in the year, he was becoming more of a receiving threat. And I, 
if you look in terms of like how, how often he was on the field and how many receiving opportunities he got, I would say, I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I have to go crunch the numbers. He probably got more opportunities, at least that year, than Nauta did uh, based on, uh, I guess how you would say, the ratio of plays versus uh, targets or whatever that might be. Uh, but look, if you look at their careers, it's a no. I mean, Warner's got 25 catches for 290, 298 yards on his career and no touchdowns. He does not have one touchdown in his Georgia career. He had one in the spring game a couple years ago, but not in an actual game on Saturday. Whereas Nauta has 68 career catches for 905 yards and eight touchdowns. It's it's there's no comparison there based on their receiving production through their first three years. But I again, I think that goes back to Nauta just got more opportunities. I think Warner can get close to what Nauta did last year. I think Warner can have you know 25 to 30 catches. For 300 to 400 yards. Is, is that out of the question for you? No, not at all. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment of Warner. I think he can be that type of guy when he is the guy. Uh, now, so I'm not so much worried about Warner replacing Nada. I, I think we'll be fine there. Warner has had some issues, especially the first part of last year blocking. He really struggled early on. That South Carolina game was horrific. Remember that game? Yeah. I was just getting beat left and right, but he really upped his game and got better and better as a blocker uh, as the season went on. He was one of our better blockers there uh, on the edge once we got into the later parts of the season. So I'm, I I feel good with Charlie Warner. I'm not gonna really concerned there at all. What I'm more worried about is what we have behind Charlie Warner. Because last year, we had Eisenhower number one and Charlie Warner number two. That's a great one-two punch. But, Kurt, do we have that guy to be what Charlie Warner was to Isaac Nauta last year? Do we have that guy this year? No, not with the loss of Luke Ford. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like Luke Ford was supposed to be that guy, and he's gone. And I, I, I am concerned about this. You guys know that. I, I've laid this out a couple times through the recruiting phase when I, when I was big on Brett Seether, saying we needed to take Brett Seether because I, we just need more bodies to tie in. We just absolutely do. And you've got Ryland. Oh, Gouda, uh, which I actually figured out exactly how to pronounce his name. I always felt very uncomfortable because I pronounced it wrong every single time. But I literally looked it up, and, it, and I had someone, I had a couple different sites that I pronounced it's Gouda. So uh, there we go. Uh, now, he's coming off the ACL injury, right? But he's a big dude, 6'6", 240. I'm high on him. If he wasn't coming off the ACL, I would feel pretty good about him being a guy that could, that could contribute in a big way for us this year. The other option is going to be John Fitzpatrick, who redshirted last year. He's 6'6", 230, at least coming out of last year. That's how big it was. Hopefully, he, adds up, he gets a little bit bigger. Kind of tall, linky guy coming out of Marist. Do you think Fitzpatrick – I mean, he's probably going to have to be the number two, right? Yeah. I actually am fine with Fitzpatrick because when he was – you know, we, we played him some trying to keep his redshirt last year. Yeah. And I actually thought he played the tight end position actually better than what you saw out of Luke Ford. Really? Okay, interesting. I mean, when they got into the game, yes, it was against lesser talent, but sure. he just seemed more natural. I'll have to go back in, and watch some of that. In our, in our system. Okay, fair, man. I'll, I'll have to go back and check that out. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I just I have to go back and watch I mean, it. I don't remember. I mean, you got to think about it. Ford, at, even when we would bring him in as a fullback, he wasn't like he was killing people in the blocking game. He was more of one of these you know, futuristic hybrid type tight ends that I don't know. I mean, I, th- I, you know, I think he would have been great for us. I just don't know in-line blocking-wise because I think – you know, Fitzpatrick had the bigger body, and I think, you know, coming into year two, I think you'll see him, sure. hopefully, like you were saying, get bigger, put, you know, he could easily put on 10, 15 pounds easily, yeah. and I think at that point, he'd be great for us. Yeah, I'm speaking of Lou Ford and, and his blocking issues, I don't want to say issues, I think that's a little strong, a little far, but uh, I remember against Florida when we had, they had that goal line stand against us, right? And, and we had Luke Ford in the game there as one of the uh, the lead backs and he I remember at least on one play just absolutely whiffed and I know that's different than playing tight end but like yeah, I, it just wasn't his strength in my yeah opinion. it was and it, it's okay he's a, he's a freshman trying to, in, the college, in high school you don't have to do a ton of that you go out there and catch passes 
um, which is something you have to like. Charlie Warner had to learn how to do that. Like that was, was the one he did in high school, and he's finally gotten pretty darn good at it. But it took some time. Um, but yeah, I actually I'm I'm not like I don't think Fitzpatrick is gonna is is a scrub in any way shape or form. Honestly, I, we haven't seen enough of him to, for me to say one way or the other. Honestly, in my opinion. Uh, but our coaches are pretty high on him, and he's going to have to be ready. Now, Eli Wolf's the guy that's going to be coming in as a grad transfer from Tennessee. Uh, he'll be coming in uh, in May, but he won't be here in the spring, so he's not really going to factor in right now. But really, it's go- I mean, we have two tight ends, essentially, two scholarship tight ends this spring that are healthy. We've got Warner and Fitzpatrick. Um, Gouda is not ready yet. Uh, he'll probably hopefully be cleared to do some stuff in, this, in the summer, uh, but he's not right now as far as I understand. And then obviously we'll get Brett Seether in here over the summer as well. Uh, but we're one of those guys have to step up. And uh, do you think Fitzpatrick's going to be that guy? I do. I mean, I saw flashes in my opinion. Like he, I, I think he can put it together. Would you, so you would take him over a guy like Eli Wolf, who's basically done nothing his entire career? Um, I mean, if, if you're wanting a well-rounded tight end, yes, I think Wolf will be good for us to come in, especially more experience. blocking situations, and especially yeah. if we go to every. I don't know if we will go to tight end sets anymore. Um, that that would be where he comes in. I mean, I always remember him as a receiving tight end, fumbling the ball through the end zone against Florida last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll be really interesting. You're right. You bring up the idea, like maybe we don't use tight ends as much as we did with Jim Chaney, right? Yeah. Like maybe we just change the scheme a little bit and we put more emphasis on speed, which is kind of what I was saying last year. It's like we have all these receiving weapons. Why don't we put more of them on the field? Uh, and look, I, and I, I like Isaac Nauta and I like Charlie Warner both, but you know sometimes we have the three wide receiver sets, but then we throw another tight end out there when it's like like an obvious passing down, right? So like I get it, like because you can create matchup problems just on first and second downs and these standard downs where you know they think you, they're in their base package or they're maybe in their in their nickel package, but still. They've got run personnel in there, but then you can kind of take advantage of that and get the matchup you want and throw the ball in first second now, which I don't think we did enough of. Um, but like when it's like third and long, I never quite understood why we had Isaac Nauta or Charlie Warner in the game as like the fourth receiver. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like we weren't fooling anybody. Those guys were not blocking on those plays. So why not have a more a, a, a better athlete in there at that position, a more true receiving threat than one of those guys, one of those guys? I just never quite understood that. So maybe we'll see more of that. With James Coley, although I will say James Coley has a has a history of really liking to use the tight ends, and he's kind of been selling that to guys like Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington, two of the top tight ends in the country this year. So maybe we'll use them more. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell because we don't really know exactly what Coley's going to do putting a stamp on our offense. But definitely something interesting to watch here as we enter spring practice. But all right, let's get away from the pass catchers and let's move to the ball carriers and talk about the tailbacks here. Now, Kurt, uh, the general assumption here pretty clearly is that DeAndre Swift is our starting running back in 2019. How accurate is that assumption in your mind? Um, probably about 90% accurate. All right, so there's a 10% chance he's not the starter? Like, who would you potentially throw in there ahead of DeAndre Swift? I mean, I'm not that, – that's why I say 90. You know, there's 99? No, yeah, there's no – you know, perfect givens. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You can't. You don't speak in absolutes. You know, you know me. I hate speaking in absolutes. But yeah, like, like that's a pretty fair assumption, right? That Swift's going to be the guy. Yeah, he had 1,049 yards uh, rushing last year, 10 touchdowns, 6.4 yards per rush. Uh, and then here's the thing that I that really kind of stood out to me with DeAndre Swift. I'm sure it did to a lot of you guys as well. Uh, it was a tale of two halves this season, was it not for him? It was. I mean, if you look at the first seven games, I crunched the numbers. And again, always go double-check my numbers. So there's always, they're always apt to be a little wrong here and there. But uh, I ran these numbers a couple times, and I think this is right. In his first seven games last year, he had 367 yards rushing, 
uh, five yard average five yards per carry, had only four touchdowns and no 100 yard games in his first seven games last year as our starting running back for most of those games. Then, however, the second half of the season, our final seven games, he rushed for 600. So this is starting with the Florida game uh, after the bye week. He rushed for 687 yards with 7.5 yards of carry, six touchdowns, and had four 100-yard games. And by the way, guys, that's with like an eight-carry, 12-yard performance in the Sugar Bowl. So if it wasn't for that game, um, his yards per carry numbers would be probably pushing close to like double digits. But even with that game in there, 687, seven and a half yards to carry, six touchdowns, 400-yard games in his final seven games. He was a different player the second half of the season. What do you – how do you account for that, Kurt? Uh, finally getting healthy. It was, is it as simple as that? Was it the groin injury that was just keeping him back all last, all the first half of the year? I think it was. I, I think he kept tweaking it. And I think maybe at the same time he may have been afraid to go 100% on it. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Like, I, I, I truly, I, I basically attribute all of the first half season to the groin injury. Because you even heard back going, it's, remember spring practice last year, there was a little scuttlebutt about, oh, you know, we're, we're not really, you know, working him too much. You know, we're putting other guys in there. We're, we're resting him a little bit. And, we're all, and like, we weren't too concerned because they're like, he was practicing. He was out there. And I was like, yeah, he'll be fine. You know, he's got, he's got all the way to the summer. He's got three or four months. He'll be fine. But like, he wasn't fine when the season started. It was still nagging him. It was clear when you watched him play, he wasn't explosive, as explosive as he was as a true freshman. But after the bye week, I don't know what it was. After the bye week, he was a different player. He looked different. He played different, and his stats were clear. I mean, he was he was almost twice as good uh, as he was the first half of the year in terms of his his total yardage. Went from five yards carry to seven and a half yards carry. No hundred yard games to four hundred yard games. Just a different dude. So when he's healthy, that's who this guy can be. And I just hope to God he's healthy this year. Like, how good can DeAndre Swift be if he's healthy all year long? Really good. Can he be a guy like? Because there's no Holyfield this year, right? There's no obvious guy to be this be, to be the second guy. Now we're de- we'll get to who that's going to be in a second, and we're always going to rotate backs. That's just what we're going to do. That's kind of how Kirby operates. Uh, but we don't have like Holyfield coming back. If Holyfield came back, I mean, you can see those guys kind of splitting carries 50-50 again, more like more, pretty much what they did last year. But he's not back. So do you expect Swift to get even more carries than he probably would have if Holyfield had come back? Yeah, you you definitely are. Cause, I mean, he's he's other than Brian Herring, outside of there, you don't really know what the rest are. Honestly, unknowns. I, I mean, yeah, you got Zeus who's coming up, still coming off another ACL injury. He's probably not gonna. He shouldn't be practicing this spring, and McIntosh isn't here right now. But like, if he so if you're with me, and he's gonna get more carries this year because Holyfield's gone. There's no obvious number two guy right now. Maybe somebody will emerge, but right now we don't know who that's gonna be. Is it out of the question this guy can maybe push 1,500 yards rushing this year? Not at all because in, you know, not really doing much the first five games and at least and everything else he did after that, he got to 1,000. Yeah, he got he got, he, yeah, he got to 1049, and that's – you're right. In the first seven games were almost a wash for him. I mean, he just was not the same back at all. So if he starts out healthy and he gets more touches – then I think it's certainly within the realm possible he could potentially be a 1,500-yard rusher. I don't know if I would go more than that because we are going to split. We're, we're going to have some guys that share some carries. I just don't know if we'll share as many carries as Swift shared last year with with Elijah Holyfield. Holyfield just was bust on the scene from the get-go last year. Uh, so, and speaking of Elijah Holyfield, so we are going to be missing his 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns, big-time production for us last year, 2,000-yard rusher. 2,000-yard rushers. Holyfield ends up going pro, and you can debate that decision all you want, but the fact is, for 2019, he's gone. He's just not here. Love the guy. I was hiring him um, in 2017. I always thought he should get more carries, and a lot of us did. I wasn't alone there. Um, 
and obviously it turned out to be right in 2018. One of the few times I'm actually right about something. But, Kurt, how confident are you in our ability to replace Holyfield's 1,000-yard production from last year? Are we going to be able to replace that? I think we are because I think we'll have more of a stable at this point. And one person I'm expecting to make a big jump, I really do think James Cook's going to make a jump. Okay, so that's a guy that I have on my list I really want to talk about here because I am – I mean, you remember the, the, the open practice last year, right, in, in summer? And I came back raving about James Cook. Like, he was the guy. So let's go back to Kirby's first year here. We had his, when we had our first open practice uh, that summer, that first summer going into the 2016 season, Elijah Holyfield was the guy that jumped off the page to me. I was like, holy crap, this dude is legit. I thought he was going to push for serious playing time. Now, I know we had Sony and Nick coming back, uh, which obviously those guys are going to get carries. But I thought Holyfield was going to factor into that, that rotation in some way, shape, or form. Then he gets injured. He hurts his ankle like a couple days after that. And then, that clears the way for Harry to kind of jump ahead of him, and Harry gets a touchdown on his first career carry in the Dome against North Carolina, and then he kind of doesn't relinquish that third guy behind uh, that third, I guess that third man up behind uh, Nick and Sony until last year uh, when Holyfield was able to take take over that, that basically starting job for parts of the season last year. But I guess what I'm saying is I, Holyfield was that guy for me the first time I saw uh, an open practice. James Cook was that guy for me last year. He was the one guy that just completely flashed almost every time he touched the ball last year. Now it's one practice. That's the one little snippet that we get to watch. So I don't. I, I, it's hard not to make too much of it because that's all we get to see. But I, I expected him to have more of an impact than he did last year. I know we had some big time players, but I thought we would do a better job of finding ways to get him involved. I don't think we did a good job of that. Where do you think he plays this year? Like, is he going to be a is he a true like three down type running back? Is he a guy that we're going to try to split out wide, do some different things with him? Like, how does he factor into the equation offensively? I think he's going to do it all for us. Honestly, I think he can become a between the tackles type runner because he, to me he's a better version of Keith Marshall because he keeps his balance better than Keith. Yeah. Um, and I think he, one of his biggest deterrence last year was he honestly had trouble with the playbook i mean you saw sure. it with him there was times he was getting you know pulled out of the game because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do and i think that was one of the biggest problems he had last year so i think the more he picks that up the more he's gonna get on the field especially if i mean you gotta remember this you know this guy didn't come in with all the other freshmen first off he didn't enroll early and then he didn't come in in june with everyone he came in in july so he was really behind in the weight room at the same time so i think you give him a full year in the weight room and actually learning and understanding the playbook and not maybe not feeling rushed and things like that, then he can do it all for us. He can catch the ball out of the backfield in, the, in a passing game, and I, I think he has the speed to run it on the edges, of course, but I also think he has the speed to get through the, through the you know, between the tackles. Yeah, I, I, I do too. Now, he's, like, he's a guy that a lot of people look at and say, you know what, he, he can't be a between-the-tackles runner. You don't buy into that? No. I, I don't either, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna point out his brother. Now his brother was a little bit bigger coming out of high school. Uh, Dalvin was five eleven, like one ninety coming out of high school. If you if you look at go back and look at his recruiting profile, James was about 5'11", 180 to one eighty five. So Dalvin had about five or ten pounds on him. But if you remember how Dalvin Cook was used at Florida State, they ran him between the tackles just fine, right? Yeah. I mean, he was just fine. When you get in a college weight program, you bulk up a little bit. Now, is James Cook ever going to be an Elijah Holyfield-type running back, like a power back like that? No, he's not. That's not what his ability level is. But that doesn't mean the dude can't run between the tackles, all right? The guy can – he absolutely 100% can. Um, now, he's not going to just run people over every time, but he brings different things to the table, and he's a guy that I seriously think – can factor into this rotation. I like. Is it a stretch to say that he might overtake Brian Herring even to start the season and be that number two guy? 
Probably a little bit of a stretch because Kirby, especially as a number two guy, probably wants somebody he's comfortable with. Yeah, I, I think Harrion's going to be the guy to start the season. I do. Uh, but he's a, or not the guy, the, the number two guy. Swift's going to be the guy. Harry will be the number two guy to open the season. But I, I, here's another thing. Look, I, I'm not ready to predict this year. I want to see what, what he does during the spring and how much you know he's grown and developed and how, how much thicker he's gotten. But I'm not going to sit here and say that James Cook has no chance to be the number two guy coming this season. The only thing that might hold him back is that him and Swift, uh, you know, might look at him and say, okay, those guys have a lot, there, there's some similarities there. And you want a guy that can, that can be more of a physical guy between the tackles. Although I do think Cook can run between the tackles. He might not run with as much physicality as some of the other guys on the roster. So maybe we just try to use him in different roles. But if we don't really use him as a true running back, I think in some ways that might be misusing him. Now, certainly we can use him in different ways. We can use him on the jet sweeps. We can use him in the slot. We can use him in the screen game and stuff like that, sure. But I, I, I think that's selling him short to say that that's all he is. I guess, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's just to say that's all this guy is, it, that's selling him short. I think he can do the whole – I think he can be the total package if given the opportunity. Uh, now, speaking of Brian Harry, I mentioned him a second ago. How – like, what is your what is your take on Brian Harry? Like, what kind of back is this guy? Um, I mean, he's just a hard-nosed guy that, you know, I mean, he's not the best at any one thing, but he tries hard and, you know, give you his all. Sure. The, the dude runs crazy freaking hard, right? I mean, and that's one thing that, and that's pure effort. And that's one thing I love about him. I, I Look, as much as I like Holyfield, it was never like a, a Holyfield versus Harry and thing, like, like a personal thing. I just thought Holyfield gave us a better chance and it was more productive when he came in the game in 2017. Um, and obviously our coaches finally figured that out as well. But it wasn't a, a personal against Harry because that guy plays hard, man. Um, and I, I appreciate what the guy did. Getting Now, he put himself in that position in the first place, but, but working hard down the stretch of his high school career to get his grades in order to where he could make it and get into school, I mean, that took some doing. That took some determination. So I want to give him credit there. So I really like this guy, and I want him to be a good player. And I think he has talent. I, I, he's got good speed. Um, could, would you say, could he potentially be faster than Elijah Holyfield after we saw what Holyfield ran at the Combine? Speed-wise, no question. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear he's the faster back. Um, he's not as big as Holyfield. He's not as thick as Holyfield. He runs hard like Holyfield runs, but he just doesn't have the... the I, and one thing I think Holyfield really used his advantage, Holyfield had a really good low center of gravity, you know? And Harrion yeah, doesn't... to tackle. Yeah, he's just really tough to tackle. But he ran hard at low center of gravity, had leverage on you. And Harrion runs really hard, but doesn't necessarily have as low of a center of gravity. Uh, one thing I also liked about Holyfield uh, I, that I think was really underrated, people just talked about how hard he ran, which is a big part of his game. But his lateral agility, that jump cut he had, was just filthy. Absolutely filthy. Do you think Harrion has that same ability? Not at all. I think Harrion's vision is just one of his main weaknesses. Right, yeah. I, I think Holyfield had better vision than him. Uh, at least from what I've seen through, through the, their careers, the first three years of the career. I guess Holyfield's only three years, and Harry's first three years. Uh, sometimes for me with Brian Harry, when I watch him play, do you ever notice this? Where it, you ever feel like he just like seeks out contact? Yeah, he's like a, a more athletic version of Brendan Douglas. That's exactly what I was thinking, man. Remember, old Brendan Douglas, love the guy, man. But he just like instead of like you know he, he could easily take a, a little sidestep, a little lateral move, and and pick another 10, 15 yards. And instead of doing that, he just sought out contact and just wanted to run over a DB. And and you know the old you know the old physical linebacker and fullback in me loved that. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you had 15 more yards, you'd take one little sidestep. And I think Harry has a little bit of a lot of that in him, where he just you know put his head down, he'll just want to run you over and send a message. We saw that in the Sugar Bowl. Um, against Texas, and I'll, I'll tell you this: Brian Harrion. You know, we did we played like trash on offense. I mean, all the way around, everybody. He was the one bright spot for me, right? 
He was. In that game. Now, that was a one-game setting, but that dude came to play. And if he can bring that level of physicality and, and can play like that, then I think he could be a good player for us. And he's another thing that we, that we often forget about him is he's actually a pretty good pass catcher out of the backfield. He has superior hands to to Elijah to Elijah Holyfield. And you know, our coaches have actually tried to get him involved in the passing game a couple of different, in a couple of different ways, not as much as I, that I, as I would like. But I think he has a, a the better ability to be a pass catching threat out of the backfield than what Holyfield had. So different skill sets. Um, I think I think we were right in playing Holyfield last year. I was saying that back in 2017, and it, and it proved to be right with the production he was able to put up. But like, could Harry and be a thousand yard rusher for us this year? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I'm not ready to go there. I, I just I think we're going to spread the love around too much. I think we've got too many guys, uh, if, especially if Zeus gets healthy, but. I, let, let's say if Harrion got the number of carries that Elijah Holyfield got last year, all right? If Holyfield was on the team last year and Harrion got those carries, would Harrion have rushed for a thousand yards? No. I think you're right. I think he would have. I, I don't think he'd have been too far off. I think he probably been around the eight to nine hundred range. Um, so I don't think he's quite the back that Holyfield was and is. But I don't think he's a scrub either. I think he's a guy that can that can make plays for us. Um, now the one guy we got to talk about here. Um, haven't mentioned much, mentioned just briefly, is our man Zamir White, Zeus, the wild card in this whole equation. Uh, he's probably not, I mean, I would, I imagine he'll probably go through some drills of some sort, but not really any kind of contact at all. But how do you expect Zeus to factor into this running back equation uh, once we get closer to the season? I think the coaches may be kind of comfortable because they didn't try to, you know, stress and sign a second back in this last class, and I think that said something. Do you think that's a good sign? Did you really take that as a sign? I mean, you have to take that into account because if they were that worried, they would have taken someone else. Yeah, I, I think I, I take something from that as well. Um, now, honestly, what I took from initially was that Holyfield was coming back. I mean, because you still had, like, Mark Anthony Richards and people like that out there in the yeah. second, you know, the late signing class that you could have still picked up. Absolutely, we could have. Now, when like when Trey Sanders went elsewhere, and the, and the word was he thought that Holyfield was coming back, I, I I took that as oh Elijah Holyfield's coming back. That's why Trey Sanders isn't coming, um, and maybe that was true at some point. I don't know, uh, but you're right. Even after Holyfield decides to go pro, we go into the late signing period that you know we had chances to get other backs, and we didn't really pursue them. We 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 felt other needs were more pressing. So you have to feel like if we didn't feel Zeus had a chance to really be a contributor for us this year, we probably would have gone for something. Because like we would essentially have. Uh, four scholarship running backs, right? If Zeus doesn't play this year, and yeah. as much as we like to run the football, you're one or two injuries away from having no depth. And we've been down that rabbit hole a couple years. Was it 2013 season? Murray's last year when we had Brennan Douglas and JJ uh, JJ Green as our top two guys. Like, his, yeah, his senior year. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. I just I remember that loss. I'm like, oh my god. I remember just sitting there at Vanderbilt Stadium watching. That. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, kill me. So we don't want to be in a situation like that. You're just a couple injuries away from that if you don't have enough scholarship back, especially with how much we like to run the football and play in the, in the most physical defensive league in all of college football. So, um, yeah, I think like, – I don't know, man. It's, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But everything you hear about this guy is that he's a workhorse. He attacks his rehab just like Nick Chubb attacked his rehab. I know he's coming off two ACL injuries, although they're separate knees. But and, and there's, there's no givens. There's no guarantees when it comes to injuries like this. But – like medical science has advanced to the point where people recover from ACL injuries pretty routinely, right? Yeah. So like, and it, I mean, he, he this most recent ACL injury was torn what this very start essentially of a fall camp. So we're going back to like last August. So he'll be, you know, by the time camp rolls around again, he'll be almost a full year removed from this. It's not like he tore it in the middle of the season and trying to come back for the start of the year. Like this is we're talking about a full year removed, and ACL injury is going to be can sometimes be you know healed within eight nine months at times now. So. 
Uh, I feel like, especially once we get to the middle of the year, Zeus will factor in in some way. Uh, maybe not be ready to go to be a, a big-time contributor early on, but I think as he gets further and further removed from the injury, he's just going to be uh, closer to being a, a big-time player for us. I'm still very high on Zeus. I'm not giving up on the guy. I think he can be a big-time player for us. But he won't really factor in the spring, so we'll visit that, revisit that a little bit more once we get closer to fall camp. And finally, that leaves us with the quarterbacks, our final skill position to talk about here. Uh, this one won't take as long. Obviously, this is now Jake Fromm's team. He's the guy. There's no debate anymore. He is the guy. Um, it's kind of a very different feel coming to this spring. It's coming to last spring, when you signed the number one quarterback, you got Justin Fields uh, there with Jake Fromm, and people are really, there's all the hype around Fields. And you, you had what Fromm did as a true freshman, leading us to the national title game. Uh, there was definitely a, a, a serious feel of competition, right? Yeah. And like we didn't know. Like at this time last year, I remember like we were like, we'll, we'll just wait and see. We've got to see what it's going to be. We don't know. But, uh, in your mind, now that like there's no legit competition, there's no legit threat to Fromm and, and anyone taking his job this spring, is that more of a positive or a negative for us in terms of Fromm's development going into his junior year? I think it may help him because I think more or less after the LSU game last year, when we kind of you know kind of showed that this is Fromm's team, I feel like Fromm got a lot more comfortable. I I, I absolutely. I mean, think about this. All right, the LSU game, he was terrible. Right, he was just flat out terrible. There's just no getting around that. Uh, how much do you think Justin Fields, like hearing Justin Fields on his, you know, on his tail there, you know, on, just right behind him on his heels? How much do you think that factor into some of his play? Especially like when you when you start off the game and you miss a couple throws and it starts to snowball. You're like, oh my god, they're gonna bring him in. They're gonna bring him in. I'm gonna lose my job. Uh, do you really think that had a, a big effect on how he played some of the first half of the season? You want to say it didn't, but it. it I, I think it I did. Think it, I do too. Yeah, I. And look, and you're right. You don't want to say it because I mean, one of the things about Jay Fromm, he's a mentally tough dude. He's shown that he's been in big time moments and performed admirably. But when you have that guy, you know, you know, just nipping at your heels like that, and he's getting more and more playing time. The season's going on. He got a lot. Of, he got some playing time against Tennessee. We, we kind of inserted him to, to jumpstart the the run game against Tennessee. And so you play bad at LSU, you miss a couple throws, and all of a sudden they're they're scoring points. You're behind before you know it. You're behind three scores. Um, and then you feel the pressure. Oh my God, they might put him in. If they put him in, he performs well. Then how? Then what does that mean for me? And I, I'm a Georgia guy. I love Georgia. I mean, I, like I would have trouble dealing with that. Uh, and then, but I think. Once we got into the bye week and it was an open competition, behind closed doors, he was able to go out there and do what he does. He kind of re-won that job, and then Kirby stuck with him the entire way against Florida, and he performed admirably. Did not put Justin Fields in for one snap. I think that clicked something in his head and said, you know what? I'm comfortable. I'm secure in this job. I've gone out there. I've done it. I've fended him off. Do you feel like that was the difference? Because like who he was the first half of last year and then the second half of last year all the way up into the Texas game, that was a different quarterback, wasn't it? Hundred percent, and I really think a part of that was he just felt comfortable that Fields like he, that he had fended off Fields, and it wasn't it wasn't going to be a thing anymore. Uh, and so, if, if you kind of extrapolate that and add it to the fact that Fields isn't even on the roster anymore, and there is no competition, he hasn't had to worry about it at all. Then I think he could feels more secure. Uh, he can let it flip, just really go out there and let it fly. And like the, like competition is good because it pushes people. There's no doubt about that. Help force you to raise your game. But like with Jake Fromm, the the kind of player he is. Like, he's not a guy that you have to worry about that, right? Yeah. Like, I think he's going to go out and work and put his best foot forward and push himself to the to, to his max, regardless of if anyone's behind him or not. So I think this just kind of gives him a chance to whew, take a deep breath, relax, and go out there and just be the leader of this team. So I, I'm with you. I think this actually might help more than it might hurt. Now, it'll hurt, though, if Jay Fromm gets hurt. 
because that is the far more interesting and, in, in my opinion, perhaps more important question. That more important battle will be for that number two job behind Jake Fromm because we do not have that cushion if Fromm goes down this year. We just don't have it. So right now, obviously, we've got Stetson Bennett we brought in as a, uh, uh, from the JUCO ranks who was previously with our program as a as a preferred walk-on, was uh, very famously, uh, with the lead-up to the Rose Bowl, was uh, mimicking Baker Mayfield and was giving our defense a great look. Uh, and then you've got Dewan Mathis, a guy that we got late in the early signing period, get flipped in from Ohio State, and he is a, a highly rated guy, top two, top 247 type prospect, the quarterback position. Who uh, Out of those two guys, it's me one of those two guys, Kurt. Who right now do you think is going to win that number two job? I'm going to go Stetson. Okay, what gives Stetson the advantage? I just think that he's at least ready. I mean, he, he's used to his rusher and things like that, I'm pretty sure. And I yeah. think they really want Mathis to truly rusher and try to develop right. into something in the future. So I think if they wanted someone that could be thrust into duty, they'd probably be more comfortable with Bennett. Plus, Stetson knows the system. Yeah, and they know what Stetson can do. Right, they, they know Stetson inside out. Stetson knows our pro. Not, it's not just the it's not just the playbook. It's the just it's the how we do things at Georgia, right? Like yeah. he he understands that he knows everything about our program. He was in our program, and our coaches know everything about him because they coached him. So I, I think Stetson's the guy. Uh, now, long term, who's the better prospect, Stetson Bennett or Dewan Mathis? Easily to one. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's close. I, like, so in us saying that Stetson Bennett's probably going to be the backup going into this year, that doesn't mean that he's the better long-term prospect. It just means he's more ready to contribute and help us if Fromm goes down this year. Uh, now, it does remain to be seen how much the, the offensive system has changed under James Coley, but you have to imagine at least like terminology is going to stay the same. Now, the, the plays he calls, I'm sure he'll have some different plays, and his tendencies, that might be different and probably will be different. But you have to imagine the terminology will be the same because it just makes it a much more seamless transition from offense coordinator Jim, uh, uh, Jim Chaney to offense coordinator James Coley. So Stetson has that down. I think he's in the playbook. Now, everything I've heard about Dwan Mathis – uh, since he's been here, has been really positive. I've heard that he's a guy that's that's uh, a sponge is actually the, the phrase that I've heard. Uh, he's just soaking stuff up. He's a really respectful kid. Um, is, is taking leadership well, uh, and I, I expect big things from him down the road. I'm really glad that he's on our team. But I think the first part of the year, at least, if something happens to Fromm, Stetson's going to be that guy. Now, if something did happen to Fromm, God forbid, knocking on wood right now, how does that mean our season's over if something happens to Fromm? Uh -huh. Realistically, probably. Probably, right? Like, I mean, Stetson can come in and think, you know, if Stetson had to come in and play Vanderbilt, yeah, we could probably still win. If Stetson had to come in and play Missouri, yeah, we could maybe still win. If the defense had to play really well, we could probably still win. If Stetson has to come in and we're playing Alabama, we're playing Auburn, uh, we're playing Florida, are we winning those games? Probably not. Probably not. So, dear God, please let Jake Fromm stay healthy. Just please. And Jake Fromm, do not go on the lake one time this summer. Please, sir. Just don't do it. But, uh, all right, guys. That does it for us here today on the first edition of our Spring Practice Primer Tubes. Love to get your thoughts everything. You hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA if we miss something. Uh, if you agree, if you disagree, we'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, hear what you guys have to say. But thanks for listening. We'll be back later this week with another edition of our uh, Spring Practice Primary Series. So be looking for that. Again, if you are not subscribed to us on Podbean, you want access to all of our content, the rest of the Spring uh, Practice Primer Series, you can subscribe to us on Podbean today for only $2 a month. So just check us out on Twitter. You can click on the link there. It'll take you straight to it. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate it. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.